Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who studied economics in college and writes economic policy in Congress, can't name the most prominent economist of the 20th century. MSNBC's Katie Turr doesn't know how senators get elected. And Joe Biden wants to ban guns that don't exist. The problem isn't that our alleged elites are ignorant. It's that they know so much that isn't so. We examine the root of their confusion. Then Joe Biden collapses in the polls, Bloomberg surges, and Snoop Doggy Dog gets the media to expose themselves. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Oh, we've got so much to get to. AOC is out here educating all of us about economists that don't exist. We have to wonder how our elites got so profoundly ignorant. I think I have the answer, actually. Uh, We will all be less ignorant when we figure that one out. But first, I've got to thank our friends over at Ebb Sleep. You know me. I like to get at least 18, 19 hours of sleep a night. That's not always possible, but there is a way if you are having trouble sleeping to get a few more Z's at night. And that is Ebb Sleep, a wearable solution that fits over the forehead and gently and precisely cools the forehead to reduce those racing thoughts and allow people who suffer from sleeplessness to drift more comfortably into a deeper, more restorative sleep. If you suffer from insomnia, if you have trouble sleeping, a lot of people in my family have trouble sleeping. One of the reasons for that is your mind is just always racing. The the mind's normal way of dealing with stress and challenges is to just be on guard, to be really tense, to be vigilant in the middle of the night. That stops you from getting a restful night's sleep. That's where Ebb comes in. Ebb is clinically validated, and four out of five users report falling asleep faster and improving overall sleep quality. It's also very good if you have a headache. (laughs) Same same kind of uh, thing going on. But if you've got those racing thoughts, ebb is the way to cool your mind down and get that sleep you need. Have the energy to do things you love again by getting the sleep you need. Ebb's natural solution has no morning side effects and allows you to get back to your peak performance. Our listeners can try ebb risk-free for 60 nights to confirm it's the solution you've been looking for at tryeb.com slash Knowles. That's T-R-Y-E-B-B dot com slash Knowles, tryeb.com slash Knowles. K-N-W-L-E-S, order today. Get the sleep you need and deserve. Sometimes when I'm watching our elites on air, I, I start to be lulled into sleep because of how mind-numbing it is. Nowhere is this clearer than with AOC. So you know AOC is always posting these videos on various social media platforms, just rambling about whatever thought popped into her head and comes out her mouth without very little filter in the middle. She did this the other day to talk about one of her favorite economists. And she was, I think, attempting to cite one of the most famous economists of the 20th century. Unfortunately, she named an economist who doesn't exist. It's funny you ask this because I was just reading today about how Milton Keynes, a famous uh, economist back in the day, predicted that by 2030, U.S. GDP would grow six to eight times what it is, which would allow for everyday people to work 15 hours a week. Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes is not an economist. Milton Keynes, as far as I know, is not a person who has ever existed. What I think she's trying to refer to is the economist John Maynard Keynes. And she's confusing John Maynard Keynes, who she says he was a very big economist back in the day. She doesn't even know when he lived and worked. He was an economist who was born at the end of the 19th century 
and lived until the mid-20th century, very famous liberal left-wing economist. She's confusing John Maynard Keynes with Milton Friedman, who's the very famous right-wing economist. You know, there are all these videos of Milton Friedman from the 1970s and 1960s giving lectures on economics. He was very influential during the Reagan administration, very influential for the conservative movement. She's confusing two economists who are pretty much on the opposite end of economics in the 20th century. And even more so, she's not even pronouncing the one guy's name correctly. John Maynard Keynes, she's calling him Keynes, like the steakhouse in New York. I don't really blame her for not knowing who John Maynard Keynes was. I mean, she was an economics major in college, and now she's writing economics policy in Congress. So it would be nice if she had even a passing familiarity with who the guy was. But my problem is not that she hasn't read the, the total work of, of Keynes or that she hasn't read all the work of Milton Friedman or that she's ignorant. The, the ignorance isn't even my problem. My problem is the lack of curiosity. My problem is the pomposity of just pontificating, of just running her mouth about things that she doesn't know anything about. It's this lack of awareness that she is profoundly ignorant. I think if you look at her affect, if you look at the way she speaks, she presents herself as very well-educated, very intelligent. She knows so much more than everybody else. And yet she doesn't. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And this is true of so many of our so-called elites in politics, in the media, all around us. You know, people just throw around terms that they think make them sound smart. One of them being Keynesian. Keynesian refers to economic policies that follow the work of John Maynard Keynes, which is the guy that she's erroneously referring to as Milton or, or, or uh, yeah, Milton Keynes. <laughs> so you, you hear this term Keynesian, you hear this term Rousseauian, right? People always refer to Rousseauian if they want to sound very highfalutin and fancy to refer to the works of Jean-Jacques Rousseau that nobody's ever read Rousseau. None of the people who use that term, even Marxist, when people refer to Marxist this or Marxian that, vast majority of those people have never read Karl Marx. They, they, they just throw these terms around as though they can fake it till they make it, as though if they state these things with enough confidence, suddenly that will force knowledge to just spring up in their heads out of nothing. It's not just AOC. We pick on AOC a fair bit because she says a lot of ignorant things. It's in the media too. Katie Turr on MSNBC, which, uh, and NBC News, I think uh, Donald Trump now refers to that as MSDNC. She was conducting an interview and she got the big NBC News backdrop behind her. And she's asking about these problems of our electoral system. And she wants to know if gerrymandering, the rewriting of different congressional districts is to blame for certain Senate elections. In case you missed it, majority doesn't always rule in this country. 48 senators voted to remove the president from office. 52 voted to acquit. But the 48 actually represent 12 million more voters than the senators who decided to keep Donald Trump in the White House. So um, what is the, what's the resolution to that? Is, is gerrymandering something that would help um, improve the situation? Is, how does, how does, that sort of divide promote consensus in the Senate or even in the House? Well, I mean, they're, they're the only resolution. Gerrymanders not going to do anything because in the Senate we're talking about states, right? Yeah. So you can't gerrymander states. The only solution is for Democrats to appeal to voters in those states, right? Oh, that's so awkward. I, you know, they, they were speaking fast enough and the guy who was being interviewed by her was courteous enough to 
try to just move right past her blatant error, but Katie Turr on MSNBC was asking if the rewriting of congressional districts, right? Congressional districts refer to the House of Representatives. If the congressional districts would affect the Senate race, but the Senate has nothing to do with the House of Representatives. The Senate, you got a zillion congressmen, right? You got a zillion people in the House of Representatives. You only have two senators per state. So unless you're going to redraw the lines of different states, you're going to make Montana a little bit wider, or you're going to shrink New York in some way, then gerrymandering isn't going to affect that at all. But Katie Turr is just throwing words out, buzzwords that you hear in politics. Yeah, you know, 48 senators voted to, uh, to convict the president in his impeachment trial and sounds like gerrymandering. Yeah, it sounds like Rousseauian, probably Keynesian uh, as well. And so that's why the president was not thrown out. And the, the analyst was saying, what are you talking about? That has, gerrymandering has nothing to do with a Senate trial. And so then Katie Turr asks, well, how can we address this problem? Why aren't there more people in the Senate who hate Trump? And he says, well, if they want more people in the Senate who hate Trump, the Democrats will have to appeal to the voters. <laughs> Pretty simple solution, right? That's a, that's a guy who knows what gerrymandering is. This lack of curiosity, this ignorance, this, this confidence in saying things that simply aren't true, it has affected the presidential race. It really affects the left broadly. And it, it doesn't come down even to ignorance or to lack of curiosity. It comes down to one vice in particular that seems to afflict the left. We'll get to that in a second. First, I need to tell you about my boxers and how much I love them. Tommy John. Tommy John has all the three F's, fabric, fit, and function. What did you think I was going to say? Tommy John obsesses over every little detail and stitch. I have never, ever had better boxers than Tommy John. I love them. As a result, men's and women's underwear from Tommy John have a wonderful comfort guarantee. They stay put. The waistbands are great. They have a range of fabrics that are truly luxurious, soft, light, moisture wicking, breathable, no bunching, no riding. They're just, they're just luxury. I, you know, I, I say this a lot when it comes to how I sleep, when it comes to clothing that I wear, especially something as personal as your boxers. You just want the best. Just get the best. Tommy John, you're not going to get any better. Tommy John's so confident. If you don't love your first pair, you get a full refund with their best pair you'll ever wear, guarantee, or it's free. Right now, go to TommyJohn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, for 20% off your first order. That is TommyJohn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, for 20% off. You will not regret it. TommyJohn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Not just AOC, not just Katie Turr. You see this in the presidential race with poor Joe Biden. Joe Biden is now making a bold new proposal on the campaign trail to ban guns that don't exist. Because we're unwilling to have a rational policy that <coughs> says you cannot have 20, 30, 40, 50 clips in a weapon. A rational policy that says that you can't have 20, 40, 50 clips in a weapon. I guess in, in Joe's defense, it is a rational policy to ban guns that are completely imaginary, right? It would be irrational to allow guns that are completely imaginary and only exist in Joe Biden's mind. So I guess technically it's rational, though I don't know how rational it is just as a campaign matter to go out talking about policies that don't have any bearing to reality. 
banning guns that have 20, 40, 50 clips per weapon. Joe Biden doesn't know what a clip is. He doesn't know what a magazine is. Very likely doesn't know what a gun is. A clip is not a magazine. People confuse this, especially the people who want to take your guns. They think that a clip is a magazine. Clip feeds ammunition into a magazine. Magazine feeds ammunition into the chamber of a gun. Guns do not have 40 or 50 clips. It's not, not how guns work. Joe Biden could be forgiven, perhaps, this ignorance. He, he's obviously not a gun guy, doesn't know anything about guns, probably doesn't like guns very much. He likes having his armed security have a lot of guns. I, no, I notice he loves that, but he clearly doesn't like guns very much. That's true for virtually all of the Democratic candidates, with perhaps the exception of Bernie Sanders. But he's, he's the one writing the laws. There's this strange irony on the left and in politics where the people writing the laws about guns don't know anything about guns. And they're unwilling to listen to the people who do know. If you go to your average, perfectly common Walmart shopper, they will know more about guns than any of these Democratic candidates for president. These days, I don't know. Now it's harder to buy a gun at Walmart. But for a long time, you, you get the point. You go to the average Joe on the street outside of New York, LA, San Francisco, and depends on what neighborhood you're in in New York, LA, or San Francisco, the person you meet on the street will know much, much more technically. They will just have more knowledge of guns than Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, any of these guys, Elizabeth Warren. That's pretty weird. That's a weird thing that our so-called elites, guys, I mean, that's certainly true of the media too. The people who, who run their mouths about guns on MSNBC or CNN don't know anything about guns. The people who would have themselves be our elites and tell us what to do and write our laws and tell us what to think know significantly less just as a matter of pure information than your regular run-of-the-mill American. That's a strange situation to be in because your regular run-of-the-mill American has a lot more humility than those so-called elites. Joe Biden took it, made it even a little bit weirder on the campaign trail. Joe Biden was asked a question that he didn't want to answer and he referred to the, the young girl who asked the question as a dog-faced lion pony soldier. So you're arguably the candidate with the greatest advantage in this race. You've been the vice president. You weren't burdened down by the impeachment trials. So or in the participation. So how do you explain the performance in Iowa? And why should the voters believe that you can win the national election? It's a good question. Number one, I was a Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're, you're, now you got to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> so this, this comment from Uncle Joe made people wonder if he's doing okay, if he's all there in the head. People are saying that he's losing it, that he's becoming senile. Uh, now, I don't think that's exactly what's happening. I don't, because his defense, Joe Biden's defense is that he's referring to an old movie. So what the people are saying is Joe Biden is losing his mind and Joe Biden's campaign defense is, no, 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 he's just really, really old and he's referring to an old movie. So what he's saying is it refers to an old John Wayne movie. Trouble is, there's no evidence that that line comes from a John Wayne movie at all. 
He's used the line before, but there's no, they, even, even the liberal outlet Vox.com did some research into this, said we don't see any evidence that that line came from a John Wayne movie. It may have come from the 1952 movie by Tyrone Power called Pony Soldier, in which a character says, the pony soldier speaks with a tongue of the snake that rattles. So it, I guess it does kind of allude to liars and people being dishonest. Even here, even in this weird clip that's going viral because people are saying Biden's lost his mind or he's senile, this is evidence, maybe of a little bit of those two things, but really evidence that Joe Biden is just saying things that he doesn't know anything about. When his campaign comes out there and says, oh yeah, it's from an old John Wayne movie, don't worry. Even that's not true. Even that is, is not true and they don't particularly care if it's true. Big problem, big problem for our republic because an ignorant electorate is not capable of self-government. We will get to why, we'll get to what it means first. I've got to thank our friends over at Rock Auto. Now those are people who know what they're talking about. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years, which is pretty much the whole history of the internet. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything, engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. The only thing I really know what that is on that list is carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. And actually, it's really, really helpful for people like me who don't know a lot about cars because you go to a physical auto parts store and they don't have any of your parts. They just order it online and charge you a whole lot of money. You go to rockauto.com. The catalog is so easy to navigate. You can find the parts that you need. It's just Great. Even somebody like me who doesn't know anything about cars, great selection, reliably low prices. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And then write Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-A-S, in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you rockauto.com. An ignorant electorate is not capable of self-government. That's the problem with these guys in our elite institutions, mostly on the left, just running their mouths ignorantly without knowing anything. Madison wrote, he wrote, quote, a popular government without popular information or the means of acquiring it is but a prologue to a farce or a tragedy. That's how you could describe the election of AOC. uh, The election of AOC, a farce or a tragedy, or perhaps both, he goes on. Knowledge will forever govern ignorance, and a people who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power that knowledge gives. Now, What's interesting is you might think that this problem of ignorance spreading throughout a republic would be exacerbated by expanding the vote because all those dumb people, you know, in that flyover country, they don't know anything. So if you expand the vote, you expand participation in the government, that's going to make the ignorance problem so much worse, except the ignorance problem isn't among those, our fellow countrymen who come from the less celebrated walks of life, the ignorance problem is from the people on TV and the people who are sitting in Congress. That's where it's most visible. There there was a study that came out in 2007 from the Intercollegiate Studies Institute. It was a study of all the big fancy brand name colleges and universities in the country. And they, they studied civic knowledge, politics, history, government. They studied it among incoming freshmen and graduating seniors. What they found is the graduating seniors knew less about their own country than the incoming freshmen. They actually became more ignorant over their time in college. They actually unlearned 
whatever little they already knew. And they were so much more confident about it because they walked out of there with a degree from Harvard or Princeton. So they knew, man, I must know everything. What I say is the gospel truth just because I say it. That's, an, that's a problem of ignorance. It's a problem of a lack of curiosity. Really, though, at its root, it's a problem of pride. Because these elite institutions, whether it's a, a top school or a media organization or Congress, right, or the Senate, most, most elite club in the world, they, those institutions flatter you relentlessly. That's what they do. Every dinner, every lunch, every convocation, you go in and they tell you, you're the leaders of the world. You're the best. Oh, you media people, democracy dies in darkness without you. Oh, you're the, you're the future leaders. You're the current leaders of America. And what happens is you start to believe your own press releases. So you start to believe, yeah, wow, I really am. I'm so smart. I'm so good. Wow. I know so much more than everybody. And so every dumb thought, every vague sentiment, feeling that pops into your head, you believe that that is true. You believe that that is knowledge. You are less aware of what you don't know. These elites are kind of like teenagers, like young teenagers who haven't yet realized that their parents know something. You know, you know, teenagers before they mature, they're convinced that they know everything so much better than their parents. Their parents have never thought or felt any of the really complicated stuff that these teenagers have felt, right? And then there's a, a moment when you mature and you realize, oh my gosh, my parents actually know something. My parents actually have had the feelings that I have had. My parents have had the thoughts and questions that I have had. Hmm, maybe I'm not the most special little thing that's ever walked the earth. Maybe I'm part of a grand tradition of people who have come before me and who will come after me. That's kind of how the elites are to the rest of the people, is the elites are always shocked to find out that the rest of their countrymen aren't complete idiots. <laughs> that actually, believe it or not, the rest of their countrymen might know something that they don't know. They might know a little bit more about gerrymandering than they do on, on television. They, frankly, they might know about, more about economics than an economics major from a good private college or university. That, that is the problem that we're seeing among our elites. It's this pride. If you just got rid of the pride and you added a little humility, I think it would go a long way to solving it. I've, I've, I travel throughout the country almost all the time because I do these college tours. And so I'll go to really small towns. And I'm, I remember the first time it was right after the, the Republican tax bill was passed, and, but it's still sort of being debated. I got into an Uber somewhere in a small town in the middle of the country. And so what do you do? Oh, work in media. Oh, okay. We're kind of talking about politics. And this very nice, unassuming woman who was driving my Uber proceeded to explain to me how very specific and technical provisions of the tax bill would affect her and her family. And I thought, I don't know anything about the technical provisions of the tax. I know the overview of the tax bill. I've read part of the tax bill. I know the top line. But she actually possessed more technical knowledge of the tax bill than I do. And it's not her job to read the tax bill. It's my job to read the tax bill. This, I thought, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting. But she had such humility. It made her so much wiser than certainly anybody you see on MSNBC or preaching to you from the halls of Congress. It's not necessarily an ignorance problem. I don't mind how ignorant our friends on the left are, or even some people on the right. It's that they know so much that isn't so, and a little, a little humility would solve that. Now, humility is different than humiliation, and Joe Biden is facing the latter on the campaign trail. This is a big day today. Today is the first in the nation primary. You had the first in the nation caucuses 
at the Iowa caucus two weeks ago, a week or two ago. I think we're still counting the votes. I don't know that we're ever going to get those numbers, not before the DNC completely fries the books. So far, they're saying Pete Buttigieg has won. Who knows if that's true? Right now, Joe Biden has to make a good showing in New Hampshire. He's completely collapsing. We will get to the first in the nation because actually people have already voted. There's already a big winner in just one tiny town in New Hampshire, and it's a town that I happen to have campaigned in on behalf of another presidential candidate. We'll get to that in a second. We'll get to Snoop Doggy Dog. Is that his name? I don't know. We'll get to it. But first, you've got to head on over to dailywire.com. You know, we talked to you about our pal Bill Whittle's podcast, the Cold War podcast. Well, it's now cracked the top five on Apple Podcasts. Go to dailywire.com slash Cold War and start listening. This is an extraordinarily important story, and it's very, very well done by Bill and everybody else who did it, dailywire.com slash Cold War. And you know, look, I know, it feels like we are at least halfway through 2020 already. Truth is, we have barely gotten started. The election's heating up, and you got to stay up to date. So we're going to give you 20% off all memberships. It's my gift to you. You want to get on that right away. This promotion will be going away tomorrow. 20% off all memberships when using the code DW2020. Members get our articles ad-free. They get access to all of our live broadcasts and show library. They get the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro show, bonus content, access to the mailbag, and now election insight op-eds from Ben. Plus, our new all-access tier gets you into live online Q&A discussions with me, Ben Drew, Matt Walsh, and our site's writers and special guests. You ask, we answer, the Leftist Tears Tumblr fills right on up. Download the Daily Wire app, which is also a member exclusive. You can get push notifications straight to your phone. You do not want to put this off or you will miss out. That is promo code DW2020 for 20% off. Join today and stay informed on all things 2020. Dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. Joe Biden, absolutely collapsing. He's in free fall. He was the Democratic front runner. He was the inevitable nominee. He was going to do great in Iowa. He was going to do great in New Hampshire. The whole argument for his candidacy is that he's electable, except nobody's electing him. Yeah, maybe he's a little out of touch on the issues. Yeah, maybe he can't finish an English sentence because he's lost some of his spark. Yeah, maybe he's a white male, which is very unpopular in the Democratic Party today, especially straight white males, especially old straight white males. But look, he's electable, right? He'll do well against Trump, except he can't win any elections. Right now, there's a poll out from WBZ, Boston Globe, Suffolk University. It puts Joe in New Hampshire, not in first place, not in second place, not in third place, fourth place. Oof, that's bad. So he, he finished, who know, I mean, who knows what happened in Iowa, but he finished toward the bottom of the pack there. He's very likely to finish toward the bottom of the pack in New Hampshire. Who knows how he's going to do in Nevada? I don't the, Nevada also is a caucus state and nobody knows if they're even going to be able to count the votes. There are now Democrats in Nevada saying they are unclear how they are. It is unclear how they're going to report the votes back. You could have an Iowa part two. Then they move to South Carolina. South Carolina is Joe Biden's firewall. That's where he's going to win the election. Other candidates have tried this before. Rudy Giuliani famously in 2008, he was going to skip the early states and go straight to Florida. But by the time he got to Florida, it was too late. He was already losing the race. 
There is a, a study or a, a survey out from Emerson College and Suffolk University putting Joe Biden in fifth place in the Democratic race. The fifth place guy doesn't win. He doesn't, he barely wins a state. So the question now we have to ask is, is, is Joe Biden Mitt Romney or Jeb Bush? That's the question of this race. Is he the weak front runner that nobody wants, that nobody really wants to vote for, except somehow he's just going to outlast everyone else and get the nomination and then probably lose the general? Or is he Jeb Bush, the guy that the whole establishment thought was going to be the big one, all the big money donors were behind going in, and then he barely wins a single vote? Which one is it, Mitt Romney or Jeb Bush? You know, to Mitt Romney's credit, at least he won early states in or got close to early states in 2012. You know, Iowa, people thought Mitt Romney won Iowa in 2012. He actually slightly lost it when they finished counting the votes. So Rick Santorum ended up winning it. But Mitt Romney got all the advantage of having won Iowa. And at least he came in very close. It was pretty much a tie. Joe Biden didn't get anywhere near that. Mitt Romney was competing in all of these states. Joe Biden, not there. And now there's a report that some polls are showing Joe Biden losing as much as half of his black support the argument from electability for Joe Biden, in particular, focuses on his ability to win black voters. The Democratic candidate needs to win black voters, not just a simple majority of them, a vast majority of them needs to win 85, 90% of black voters to be competitive in a general. Joe Biden is thus far the only candidate who's shown that he can do that, except he might not be able to do that, which is pretty, pretty sad. So Iowa took a full week The Iowa Democratic Party is officially awarding the most delegates to Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Mayor Cheat from South Bend, Indiana. The whole thing stinks to high heaven. If I were Bernie Sanders right now, I would send a team of lawyers to re-canvas Iowa because I think, I don't want to deal in conspiracy theories, but it looks like there are some hijinks here. What, What some people are trying to say is that the Iowa counting problem That was just a random accident that happened to be caused by a shady app produced by Shadow Incorporated, which just happened to take some money from Pete Buttigieg, which just happens to be connected to the Buttigieg campaign, which just happens to have have a connection to the old Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic establishment. But look, it's all just a bunch of crazy coincidences, and it was pure incompetence, just a coding error. Do you believe that? That's a lot of coincidences. Adding on top of that, that the Democratic Party stole the election from Bernie Sanders in 2016, very hard for me to believe it. I think Bernie Sanders would be a a true disaster for the country and possibly constitute a fundamental break with our political tradition if he ever got anywhere near the ultimate levers of power. However, fair is fair. (laughs) And it looks like the guy is being robbed. It looks absolutely crooked to me. So what does all that mean? Biden collapsing. Pete being named the winner in Iowa. Pete Buttigieg, who, who named himself the winner in Iowa when 0% of the votes were in, also looks a little shady. Bernie Sanders looks like he's being cheated. Right now, Bernie Sanders is crushing it in New Hampshire. He's winning in every poll. Buttigieg, if he wins New Hampshire, you're going to see a bloody knockdown drag out where the Bernie supporters are even more convinced that the whole thing is rigged. What does it mean? You've got an ugly, ugly fight coming up you could have a brokered convention. This is always what the pundits are talking about. If you have a convention where there's no clear winner going into the convention. So instead of just counting up all the votes from the primaries and the caucuses, you go in and you go to 
smoke-filled back rooms and you wheel and deal and you, you try to figure out who the party's nominee is going to be. We're in a position where that possibly could happen because Bernie Sanders has a lot of momentum and the party elites really hate him and they've stolen it from him before. He doesn't want to be fooled again. They're not going to let him have it. You could get to a place where the DNC is going to be brokered and bitter and absolutely hilarious and fun to watch. In terms of official votes, we have an official vote in from New Hampshire. We don't have the whole state in. That's going to happen throughout the rest of the day. But there is one town in New Hampshire called Dixville Notch that votes at midnight on primary day. And Dixville Notch only has about 12 registered voters, very small, small number of voters. And so all the camera crews show up to ask every voter when they leave the polls, who did you vote for to try to get a sense of who's going to win the state. Doesn't always work. Doesn't predict it necessarily. But there was a real surprise winner here because do you know who won the Democratic primary vote in Dixville Notch, New Hampshire? Mike Bloomberg, a candidate that we have not quite talked about yet, but who is surging in the polls. Do you know who won the Republican primary vote in New Hampshire? Because Trump is going to be the Republican nominee, but they still have these primaries and caucuses. Do you know who won the Republican primary vote? Mike Bloomberg. Now, it means he got a couple of votes. It doesn't mean he won this huge number, but if you get a couple of votes in Dixville Notch, you win the election. Mike Bloomberg, who has variously been a Democrat and a Republican, he was elected as the Republican mayor of New York because it was easier to win the Republican mayorship after Rudy Giuliani that way. Then he became an independent. Now he's a Democrat. He won both primaries. It's pretty interesting because New Hampshire is live free or die. New Hampshire is pretty into keeping their constitutional rights, especially their gun rights. And yet the gun grabbing candidate won. What it shows you is Mike Bloomberg is in it to win it. He, is, he has already spent, I think, like over $300 million on this campaign. He's just buying votes. He bought off the DNC, made the maximum donation to the Democratic Party that he could right before he got in so that they would change the rules of the debate, which means he's going to qualify for the next debates. Mike Bloomberg is in it to win it. Now, he would have been a laughable candidate when Joe Biden was a viable candidate. But if Joe Biden is really out of this thing, and it increasingly looks like it is, all of a sudden, a Bloomberg campaign looks less crazy. After that last debate that nobody watched other than me, I watched it for you because I care about you. Pete Buttigieg, who was trying to get into that moderate lane again, he was down six points. Then we, we have a new poll, New Hampshire at Suffolk University in Boston. Globe showed that post-debate Sanders was up three points. Buttigieg down six points. Amy Klobuchar up eight points. She had a very good performance. Biden up one point. Warren down again, two points. So it, 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 it means that Bernie Sanders is still the front runner in this race. Joe Biden is still floating, right? He's still there. But Bloomberg is surging. There's a, a new national poll from Quinnipiac. It's a pretty good polling, polling number. Bernie Sanders is 25 nationally. Joe Biden is 17 nationally. Third place is Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg, the guy got into the race very late, former Republican, billionaire from New York. You think you're going to beat a billionaire from New York with another billionaire from New York? Increasingly, the Democrats are saying yes. Makes the whole situation even more bizarre. Now, before Democrats get too excited about having their savior in Michael Bloomberg, which I never, never thought they would think that, the campaign to attack Bloomberg is just getting started. One of the big issues he's going to have is on 
racial issues because Mike Bloomberg pushed a policy which was very effective in New York called stop and frisk, where you would send cops into minority neighborhoods, you know, mostly minority neighborhoods to reduce crime. But the left hated this because the left hates reducing crime and they hated what they perceived as racial disparities. Mike Bloomberg owned it. Uh, Look, this is a billionaire from New York. He doesn't care. He's got a lot of audio and video out there of him saying things that is not exactly politically correct. Here's Bloomberg on the issue of racial disparities in policing. 95% of your murders and murderers and murder victims fit one MO. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They are male minorities, 15 to 25. That's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people that get killed. So you've got to, if you want to spend the money, put a lot of cops in the street, put those cops where the crime is, which means in minority neighborhoods. So it's one of the unintended consequences is People say, oh my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana that are all minorities. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in the minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way you get the guns out of the kids' hands is to throw them against the wall and frisk them. And then they start, they say, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to get caught. So they don't bring the gun. They still have a gun, but they leave it at home. Now, the left. When they find out about this, when they really start paying attention, they are going to lose their minds over it. And some opportunistic conservatives are going after Mike Bloomberg for this clip. Certainly it was uh, inartfully said if you're trying to run for the Democratic nomination. But the actual policy that he's defending, stop and frisk, was a perfectly defensible policy. Mike Bloomberg was actually an okay mayor of New York. He wasn't great. He was... He did a, a decent job of, of maintaining the prosperity that Rudy Giuliani actually gave to New York. So he's fine. He gets some credit. He did some dumb policies like banning big Mountain Dews and not letting me smoke in the park, which was very frustrating. But uh, all in all, he was fine. And he was pretty good on crime. This policy was called stop and frisk. You'd send the cops in to neighborhoods that were mostly minority. Now, what Bloomberg doesn't say in the audio, what the critics of stop and frisk don't say, even what some of the defenders don't tell you, is yes, the cops were sent into minority neighborhoods. But the people who were calling in these crimes were also racial minorities. And the cops who were going to the neighborhoods were also more likely than not racial minorities. Most New York cops are racial minorities. So this was not some example of, of the evil white supremacy going into these poor downtrodden black neighborhoods and, and oppressing them. It was actually a case of the people calling in the crimes, mostly minorities. The victims of the crimes, mostly minorities. The cops going in to solve the crimes, mostly minorities. And also the people perpetrating the crimes, mostly racial minorities. That's not going to matter in the Democratic primary. You're already seeing Buttigieg getting attacked for alleged police brutality or racial disparity in law enforcement. And he's running in that moderate lane. Bloomberg is going to get that times a million. But I will say just in Bloomberg's defense, not that a whole lot of Uh, far left-wing Democratic primary voters are listening to this show, but for the few that are, Bloomberg was much better on this issue for everybody, racial minorities included, than the current mayor of New York. You know, the current mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, the Bolshevik in, uh, in the mayor's office, has recently admitted that his stupid prison reform bills are damaging the safety of New York. So de Blasio passed something, I guess it was actually the New York state government, 
passed something, but, but with the support of Democrats in the city, passed something called bail reform, right? De Blasio, big proponent of bail reform. And what bail reform does, more or less, is lets criminals off the hook. You get arrested and then you just basically get left off, let off the hook and they go out and commit more crimes almost immediately. And Bill de Blasio even admitted this. He said, quote, we had for six years steady decreases in crime across the board. There's not a whole lot of other environmental things that have changed recently. It sort of stands out like a sore thumb that this bail reform is the single biggest new thing in question. And we saw an extraordinary jump. The weak, weak crime policies of Bill de Blasio are making everybody less safe. And this is especially true in particularly crime-ridden neighborhoods, and the particularly crime-ridden neighborhoods in New York, at least, happen to be mostly constituted of racial minorities. Mike Bloomberg uniquely could run on this and defend it if he wants to. I mean, it would be a pretty bold campaign, but that's going to be a major issue for him. It might be disqualifying, even though now it looks like he's surging. Speaking of racial issues, before we go, I got to get to Snoop Doggy Dog and uh, an interviewer on CBS. So, this interviewer on CBS, Gail King, is, was recently conducting an interview in the wake of Kobe Bryant's death, and she brought up the question of Kobe Bryant's rape allegations in the early 2000s. Here is Gail's question. It's been said that his legacy is complicated because of a sexual assault charge, which was dismissed in 2003, 2004. Is it complicated for you as a woman as a WNBA player? It's not complicated for me at all. Okay, so Gail asks this question. By the way, she points out, you know, the charge was dropped in 2003, 2004, so it's not like he was convicted for it. The accuser didn't want to testify. So it, he, he, he is exonerated. Kobe is exonerated, but there were these questions at the time. For some reason, Snoop Doggy Dog was just really, really offended that Gail King would ask this question. And he went after her in a vicious and actually threatening way. Gail King, out of pocket for that Way out of pocket. What do you gain from that? I swear to God, we the worst. We the worst. We expect more from you, Gail. Don't you hang out with Oprah? Why are y'all attacking us? We your people. You ain't coming after... And Harvey Weinstein asking them dumb questions. I get sick of y'all. I want to call you one. Is it okay if I call her one? Funky dog head. How dare you try to tarnish my mother homeboy's reputation, punk mother. Respect the family and back off before we come get you. Before we come get you. Yeah. How, how dare you tarnish the good reputation of my friends as I threaten you, <laughs> threaten to come kill you. Or at least, I don't know what he's threatening. He's certainly threatening something. There was a uh, left-wing journalist on Twitter, Yashar Ali. He's got a very big Twitter account. He was incensed by this video, as most people were, but he blamed the problem on racism. And not Snoop Dogg's racism, actually white racism. He tweeted out, quote, See, ver seeing very few people defending Gail, I know that if she were a white anchor, she would have much more support. Would she? Really? I, I don't know about that. Yashar Ali and Snoop Doggy Dog both made this racial. Yashar in his comment, 
Snoop in his video, right? He says, come on, why are you coming after our people? Why are you coming after us like that? Us making, making it racial. The irony to this race hustling is twofold. One, plenty of people are defending Gail. Susan Rice, the, the Obama's former uh, foreign affairs propagandist, it was, def- was defending Gail King explicitly. So plenty of people are defending Gail, but two, very few people are going after Snoop Dogg. But really the issue here is what Snoop Dogg said. The issue is not Gail King. It's what Snoop Dogg said, right? But n- nobody's really going after him, inc- including uh, Yashar Ali. At least Yashar is not going after him. Yashar had this nine tweet thread about how awful it is that no one's defending Gail King. The way to defend Gail King is to go after Snoop Dogg. He didn't do it. Something tells me if it were Harry Connick Jr. who said this instead of Snoop Doggy Dog, there would be a different reaction to it or Michael Buble, or any of these other sort of singers, right? I mean, Yashar is racializing this. Snoop Dogg is racializing this. It's not a racial question. The question is, is it okay to ask a question about Kobe Bryant's past? Innocent until proven guilty in this country, but surely journalists are allowed to ask questions, right? But they both racialize it where there's no racial basis for it. And and in Yashar's case, he's raising the prospect of white racism, anti-black racism, when there's no evidence of that either. I don't think Snoop Dogg is a white supremacist. This is another unfortunate example of ignorance among our elites, not just Yashar Ali. The whole left does it. David Webb, David Webb, conservative uh, radio host, he was doing a show one day and he had CNN's Areva Martin come on and CNN's Areva Martin accused him of having an invalid opinion because of his white privilege. And David laughed at this, those of you who know David Webb, will also laugh at this because David Webb is very much a black man. <laughs> he certainly doesn't have white privilege. Now, Areva Martin, in this, in this case, didn't accuse David Webb of this kind of racism, of this white privilege, because it was a good argument and she even sincerely thought it. She just did it because she didn't care. She was ignorant of the question of white privilege and of who David Webb is. Just ignorant. And worse than that, confidently ignorant. She knew so many things that aren't so. There's nothing lazier than crying racism where none exists because it requires no thought. It requires no insight. It requires absolutely no communication. And increasingly, that's, that's what you see from the left. They use it all the time. So confident. They're so insistent upon it. So proud and so completely untrue. How did our elites get so dumb? Now, the answer begins with pride, and you don't see that going away anytime soon. All right, that's our show. A lot more to get to. We'll have to do it tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you then. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Director, Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Jesua Olvera. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. 
The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. 